You're now listening to Road to CEO, nothing but in-depth interviews with executives about their journeys in business. I'm your host, Will Marlowe. I hope you enjoy the show. I'm here today with Christine Kane, the CEO of Autobahn International, an organization that was originally co-founded by Theodore Roosevelt over 100 years ago. It was reinstated in 1987 as a nonprofit with the mission of spreading environmental education and sustainable resource management around the world. Autobahn International has helped organizations save millions of gallons of water, reduce reliance on pesticides, and reduce the amount of waste that ends up in landfills. I hope I'm getting that right. We'll find out soon from Christine. Christine, thank you so much for joining us on Road to CEO. Well, thank you for having me. Did I get that right about the, the, the focus of Autobahn? Uh, yes, and we started originally as uh, part of an organization that people may be more familiar with about the Audubon Society. So uh, we started as the Audubon Society of New York State, which is when Theodore Roosevelt and some other wonderful people got together to create the organization. And then it sort of went dormant. And as you said, we reinvigorated it in 1987. And as um, our mission and interests grew, it seemed appropriate to change the name to Audubon International. I see. So what was the original focus of the group when it was founded over 100 years ago? Uh, What you might consider to be a more traditional um, conservation group at that time, I guess, you know, more. um, It was very habitat for birds focused. Uh, That's what kind of grew out of the whole Audubon uh, bird portraits and, Mm -hmm. and stories. Uh, and so then, and, you know, conservation and, and wildland protection. Mm-hmm. And then um, in the uh, late 1980s, when our organization um, reinvigorated it, as I said, um, it was, it started out a bit the same. Um, we had um, some projects that focused on loon populations, which is a particular bird, uh, very native to the Adirondacks of New York, uh, for instance, some backyard birding kind of backyard habitat projects. Um, And then, you know, as word grew and our organization grew, um, we got requests to do other things. We looked at um, connections uh, and ways to do other things, expand the mission and the impact. And, um, And then over the years, you know, how we all view nature, and climate has changed a great deal, particularly in the last uh, you know years when we've been going through the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, and so that all influenced our um, our work. I see. So um, uh, it seems that you do services now with organization, other organizations, with private companies. Perhaps is that has? Am I correct in saying that that you now? you know, help companies that need to create sustainable practices for their own, uh, for their own businesses? Yes. And it's an interesting um, symbiosis, I guess you could say, since we are a nonprofit organization, mm-hmm. um, but we have found a way to work primarily with businesses mm-hmm. who are, lo- and the people at those businesses who are looking for ways to improve um, through environmental practices uh, and sustainability knowledge, how they are managing the overall um, business of their company. But what we like to help them with is um, their property management as well. So we do, we work with some businesses that don't have that much property, for instance, and then their focus is more on interior Mm-hmm. and um, energy, for instance, um, mm-hmm. some climate issues, things like that. Um, and then we also, but we do work more primarily with businesses um, who do have actual property that's under their management so they can implement uh, sustainable practices themselves. I see. So an organization that might not have a lot of property but has an office building would want to make sure that the, it's energy efficient and you might help with that. And then an organization like a golf course that has a ton of acreage might need help with that, managing the practices around that, that property yes. they own. Is that right? Yeah, that's a good summary. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, okay. We, so, 
I was going to say, we work primarily with businesses in uh, recreation and hospitality. We define that very broadly. So that's everything from, as you mentioned, golf courses, um, resort properties, corporate office parks. Um, we also work with cemeteries and um, public parks and other recreation spaces. So it's a it's very broad constituency. So how long has Autobahn International been doing that type of work with private companies? Um, well, from from the beginning, but really um, one of the things that we thought would be um, helpful and from an internal, you know, from the company's internal perception, as well as from an external perception, was to come up with ways that you can actually um, proceed along a plan, you know, develop a, an environmental plan and then proceed along that and actually seek certification as a third party validation for what you have accomplished and what you are continuing to do um, to contribute to, you know, your individual property but your surrounding neighborhoods and communities and then uh, and how all of that, what we're all doing, contributes to um, the overall mm-hmm. global needs. So when most people think of nonprofits, you know, I think that they would probably assume that they're dependent on donations from private individuals. Um, it sounds like you would have either a mix of that uh, combined with uh, revenue from the organizations you work with, or maybe you would just rely on the revenue from organizations you work with. Can you speak about that? You know, what is the, you know, do you rely on donations to any extent at this point, or is it, is it primarily the revenue you get from your work? Uh, we do uh, get donations. You know, most nonprofits, um, have kind of a three-legged, uh, stool, we call it, which is, um, private donations or individual donations, grants, and then some sort of um, maybe contracts or fee-for-service type of uh, approach. Mm-hmm. So we do have some individual donors. Um, it's not our biggest focus. Uh, we do um, operate mostly on dues, which are also charitable donations. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a different approach to it. You know, if someone joins an organization and you pay dues, you may not be thinking that you're making a charitable donation, but you really are. Uh, and so, uh, that's mostly how that works. And then of course, as many, um, nonprofits also, for instance, get sponsorships for events or for particular prob, um, programs, or you might, um, need to raise money for a, you know, like a, um, soup kitchen might need a, a van, you know, to get supplies, things like that. So, um, we do get grants, we have donations and we have sponsorships just like every other nonprofit. So how long have you been with Autobahn International? Uh, I'm in my sixth year. Okay. So you went through then, you you were there for a good amount of time before the pandemic hit. Um, mm-hmm. And now you've led the, the organization through the pandemic, of course. Um, what was that like? What did, How did the pandemic <laughs> affect you? Well, um, I'm sure like many people in their personal lives, as well as many businesses, it affected us all on many levels, right? Many different levels. So um, some, you know, for our office and our staff, of course, we had to close our office and people were still partially working remotely. Um, We do own a building where our headquarters are, and we also um, don't use it all. So we rent out some space in that. And so we had a, you know, landlord approach that we had to think about on uh, taking care of our tenants. So we, you know, upgraded our HVAC systems uh, for, uh, you know, the ventilation issues. Uh, and we, of course, followed all of the requirements and above for, you know, PP, providing PPE and, you know, sanitizers, closing off public areas, all that um, sort of, you know, it's probably all, I guess, fairly normal to us now. Um, for our larger community, um, because we work in so many different sectors and we have, you know, six different certifications that we work with, um, some areas were much more impacted. So, you know, the hospitality industry, um, really took a hit, Mm -hmm. but, um, in some other areas in recreation, for instance, we do have, um, a lot of, uh, with a lot of golf courses, and golf became sort of a, a safe haven, if you would say, 
during the pandemic because it was outdoor recreation. It was fairly easily uh, accomplished to do the social distancing. Um, it still gave you exercise and brought you back to nature or in, into out into nature, I guess I should say. Um, so it was a little, it was a little up and down and, and uneven for us. And we were trying and we still do, uh, you know, try to meet the needs of all the different, uh, members that we're working with. Mm. So one thing that strikes me is that the pandemic caused so many people to work from home. I would assume that many of them are going to stay working from home either in a, you know, a hybrid capacity, maybe they've gone from five days a week in the office down to two days a week in the office. You know, I would think so. So, and I'm just thinking about this now, but so that what that says to me is that right now there are a lot of empty buildings out there, office buildings still, and many of them are not environmentally friendly, I would assume. And so I would think that could create an opportunity for Autobahn because you know, now there are not just inefficient buildings, there are inefficient buildings that are not even being occupied or used in a really effective manner. Do you see people now, of course, I'm sure that the the owners of those buildings maybe don't want to invest in them necessarily, but at this moment, or all of them would want that. But do you see an increase in demand for people wanting to improve the efficiency of their of these buildings? Now that, you know, since the pandemic, has that increased? Well, we're, we're actually seeing an increase all across um, our membership and, and those areas that we work in. Um, in particular, for your question for commercial businesses or commercial buildings. Also, I think um, there's always opportunity to increase, you know, to better our oper- operations and um, better our environmental footprint. You know, I think we're we're seeing now a lot of information about how you know people are starting to go back to the office in many different forms, but um, where, for instance, uh, we're in upstate New York, so we see what's going on in the New York City market, for instance, where rents were down, there was a lot of um, uh, open space, and now you know rents are climbing again, and there's not as much open space, open office space. So uh, you know I, I don't know whether that window might be closing a bit. Hmm. Um, and it, you know, it was really, as you're saying, it was a real catch 22. I mean, there were, there are certainly a number of businesses like ourselves that took advantage of the, um, slower use of the building to upgrade their facilities and their ventilation systems, et cetera. Hmm. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a little hard to tell how that's going to shake out. Is the prime motivation for somebody that wants to improve their office building, uh, is the prime motivation saving money? For on energy costs, or is it uh, something else? Like you know, they want to just have an a better environment, a, a better environmental footprint. Uh, well, you know, people come at um, that from all different ways, uh, and it may be that uh, you know someone may say, oh, "I run, I want to do the right thing." You know, I want to do something better for the environment. I want to do something better for my tenants, which is wonderful, um, and and has the ability to do that. Other folks may really want to do that, but they have to make sure that they have the financial wherewithal to do it. So it's really a kind of a, you know, two pronged approach, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, it does. That's one of the things we talk about is how it does um, better. You know, not only are there um, impacts uh, and improvements on your, you know, quality of life, but it can also at the same time provide um, positive impacts for the financial side of the business. Yeah. So um, I'd love to hear about your progression as uh, an executive. Did you always want to, to be a CEO? Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, early on. And it's, you know, I wasn't sure I was going to be working in the nonprofit world, I have to say, um, but I have really spent my whole career with uh, maybe a short, maybe five-year break where I was um, not in the nonprofit world. But um, I am very um, motivated by the social impact mm-hmm. of the nonprofit world and the, um, the fact that, um, you know, as we just talked about, um, quality of life improvements and financial benefits don't have to be mutual exclusive. 
They don't have to be, one is not better or worse than the other. If they are symbiotic and working together, then there's no, I don't see any problem with that. And that's one of the reasons I decided to build my career in the nonprofit sector uh, is because I think there's more opportunity for that. There's often more opportunity for creativity in how you approach the mission of the organization. And um, often, not, you know, not 100%, but often nonprofit work does provide a, um, a better quality of life for employees um, because you have that mission-based focus um, and it's a, a, a real attractor for people that work in this sector. And do you see that? We, we hear about millennials really maybe being supposedly the first generation that really wanted that social impact in their work, you know, um, did, did you, do you see, you know, younger people really being attracted to this type of work more in general? Uh, probably over in general, overall. Um, mm. but we get, you know, we, you know, the nonprofit, you know, I have had many colleagues over the years who have come into the nonprofit sector at, um, you know, a later point in their career also, because that's when they realize that the quality of life or the positive social impact is as much of a driver for them as, you know, perhaps your, you know, your financial needs uh, mm. of working. And so they have the ability to find a way to put those two things together. But, um, you know, millennials and, um, you know, each generation as it comes along kind of shapes the work environment um, to their will, I guess you would say. Uh, But, you know, millennials are perhaps more aware uh, of social impacts than um, some of their predecessors because the you know they um, that generation has just really dealt with a lot of very very fast change on lots of levels you know life technology health climate um, so I think they are perhaps more aware of the ability to tie all of those things together um, and you know have good impacts personally as well as professionally. So you always knew that you wanted to be a CEO. Uh, how did you end up at Audubon International? Well, my uh, my first love has always been the environment. And I started off um, working uh, in general environmental issues uh, and then ended up in uh, the land conservation field for some time. And... Um, one of the, and particularly in the nonprofit world, um, you know, you have to raise the money, as we talked about earlier, to do the projects and carry out the mission. And so uh, I said, well, let me make sure I round out my skills um, with, uh, you know, the fundraising aspect of things. Mm-hmm. And so I mapped out a, a career plan for myself, basically, of how I wanted to get certain types of skills, you know, or either build them or obtain them. And then uh, the types of nonprofit organizations, well, I shouldn't really say the type, I wanted to make sure that I worked at a variety of organizations, large and small, different types of missions, um, urban and rural, and, um, and sort of put those all together. And so doing that, I gained, you know, that skill set um, that you had need to be um, an executive director or a, a CEO in the nonprofit world, as well as in the business world. Uh, and so, um, you know, then I reached a, a certain point and I said, well, now I, what I really want to do, as we were just talking about a minute ago at the Lentils, I really want to work in the environment. I want to work on environmental issues. That's where I started. That's where I'd like to close the circle. So um, I looked for a, a job and something that could be, you know, sort of the capstone for my career and found um, this position with Audubon International. I think that's great. So you, so you really had a, a plan from the beginning on how to make yourself a well-rounded executive and you sought out mm-hmm. uh, diverse um, experiences to make yourself an attractive leader. Correct. And so, you know, oftentimes that involved, um, you know, lateral moves as opposed to what you might think of an upward move. 
And I said, but I think it was important to do that because I was looking for, you know, I was doing it for particular reasons. I wasn't necessarily, thank goodness, I have to say, I, I never have worked at a place where I was like, oh my gosh, I have to, I have to get another job right away. Um, and so I had the, you know, the opportunity to make the choice. Um, you know, uh, looking back, I, I probably could have shortened that plan a bit, I guess, but, um, you know, all's well, I'm, I'm ha happy with how it worked out and where I am now. So I think it made sense. So I'd like to, to dig into that a little more. So you, you took a little longer than, than you think you needed to, to prepare. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah, probably. In hindsight, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Now, why, why do you think that was, was that, was there any reason that you think you, you took a little too, a little longer than you needed to any particular reason? Um, well, there was probably a couple of things in, um, you know, along, along the way, you know, there's sort of, we all go through stages of our life. So you have to adjust your plan to make, make sense for where, what's going on in your personal life also. Um, but then, uh, you know, I do think, uh, there's, a number of, of studies, you know, that show that, um, women tend to be, um, less, uh, aggressive, if that's the word about applying for higher level positions. If we don't think that we meet a hundred percent of the uh, qualifications as listed. So looking back, I think I probably could have, um, been a little more aggressive in some of the, um, jobs I passed on. I probably could have, I probably could have got them. But uh, I was, you know, falling into that um, mindset, I guess, of, you know, I have to be 100% qualified in order to apply. So Which is that not really the case? So <laughs> is that something that you, I would assume you probably mentor and talk to, to younger, young women who are on their, you know, career path early on? And is that something you speak to them about? I do. I do. And, you know, I, I try to mentor um, the younger women on my staff at all the places where I have been, but I also participate in more, some more organized, if you want to call them that, you know, mentor programs. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, I do mention those things. Um, there's also another um, topic, which you probably touched on with some of your other speakers called imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, I think it's important to, Ha just not that you have to, um, well, you should be aware of it, I guess, as, as early in your career as possible. It doesn't strike only women. Um, you know, there are certainly other people who um, find themselves in that same situation. But, uh, you know, again, there are plenty of studies that show it's very significant for women, uh, as, as particularly as you get to the higher levels uh, in your career within businesses or in the nonprofit world. So I think the earlier you're aware of that, um, the earlier you can um, either, you know, change the way you operate, uh, change the way you think, or create strategies for yourself that enable you to um, work around it or in some cases you you know you have to work with it sometimes um because there are other people you know there's always outside influences and in other people on your career mm -hmm. and you know if other folks may not be it may not be the imposter um syndrome from from their approach but you know they we all have our own um you know behaviors and biases um, that we have grown up with or that we have learned in the workforce. And so, you know, you have to be aware of those. And, and I think that's where it can be very important to be very strategic so that if you recognize something, you can either, you know, plan to work with it or around it or perhaps make a move. But you have to be aware of it before you can do that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, and I think, I think a lot of, of um of therapy is about helping people understand some of those types of issues where, you know, you, just being aware of a certain tendency you have or a certain phenomena that may impact your, your, you know, your thinking or bias, your thinking, you know, you might not be able to change those things, but if you're aware of them, then, you know, you can kind of make decisions that, that maybe aren't controlled by those, you know, exactly. You know, I mean, I think that's kind of a, 
there's a, um, a saying, I guess, you know, you, you can't change others' behavior, for instance, but you can change how you react to that behavior. So yeah. that yeah. can apply in your personal life as well as your work life. And sometimes I think maybe we forget that part. We forget, forget that we can incorporate that into our work life. So it sounds like you were very prepared for this role, um, but at the same time, it's probably impossible to be prepared completely. Uh, what, what's something that surprised you when you became CEO? Something that maybe you, you wish you'd known before taking, taking over? Oh, boy. Um, well, let's see. Well, you know, for me, I, had, um, I came to the organization at a time when um, we had had some quick succession in um, the leadership role. Mm. And, you know, there's always a number of different reasons why that happens. Um, and but until you uh, step into that situation, I don't think you really understand the impact that can have on um, outside impressions of your organization. So, uh, I, you know, I think I had to spend a little bit more time um, early on, I sound like I've been here so long, but you know, five years goes fast. Um, just trying to, um, you know, <clears throat> rebuild relationships or reinforce relationships that we, you know, we are not going anywhere. We're here. Everybody, all organizations go through changes. <clears throat> so I think we've been successful at that. So when you say yeah. quick succession, I think you mean that basically the, the previous CEO left after a short tenure, is that kind of, is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a challenge. I know, um, you know, one of the CEOs that I follow a lot, uh, Martin Sorrell, uh, he talks about how um, the, I can't remember the average tenure of a CEO is, I can't remember how many years it is, but like, let's say four years at, at a publicly mm -hmm. traded company. He says that that's one of the core problems for many businesses is that, mm -hmm. you know, you have this, this short tenure. And then if you look at other executive positions, like a chief marketing officer, uh, the average tenure for a chief marketing officer might be about 19 months. And, right. you know, that's really, you know, your job in the executive suite is to be thinking long-term. And if you're there 19 months or four years, even, you know, is that enough time to be thinking long-term? And in, I, I think in, in a lot of ways, the answer is maybe no, because, you know, an organization, you know, Autobahn has, you know, technically it has a hundred year history. I, I know it restarted in 1987, but, but, you know, I think, you know, you, I'm sure you want it to be here for another hundred years. And, and, uh, you know, so a, a short tenure could be a big problem. Yes. And, you know, and, and I may just clarify for English, why not because there was any issues. I mean, it just, you moved. So that's the way yeah. it goes. <laughs> um, but, but, you, yeah. but you then had, to, so you, then you stepped into that, that position and, mm -hmm. you, and maybe it sounds to me like one of your first tasks was to make sure that, uh, that supporters and stakeholders understood that you're in it for the long haul. You're, you've got a strategic mindset for it. Yes. And, you know, so there's, and then there's, you know, meeting people and telling them that, and then there's, you know, still being here in my sixth year and, you know, and working with them and proving that. So, you know, each person who comes into a CEO role has a vision for where they think their company or organization uh, can go or should go. And, you know, if you're only here for say 19 months, you know, you've begun to implement things and, um, that can be good and that can be difficult, right? So sometimes it's very difficult to be a disruptor um, as an organization, even if it's really needed. And so, you know, if someone has felt that that was needed and you begin disrupting things and, and it takes a long time to, when you're implementing changes to get everything running smoothly um, and have everybody on board again. And then if you leave, say, halfway through that or something, and then another person comes in with another vision and then they, you know, disrupt again, whether they intend to or not, because they might stop that previous plan and start a new plan. And then, you know, you've got your employees don't know which way you should be going. And that, you know, people on the outside of your organization, they see that and they realize that too. So it is important to have, um, first of all, for the organization to have in the nonprofit world, particularly to have a strong mission 
and adhere to that mission. And then the way that the um, leadership of the organization implements that mission is also very important. Yeah. So yeah. that's where that long-term part comes in that you're mentioning. Yeah. How would you describe the job of the, of a CEO and, you know, using yourself as an example, like, you know, what, you know, cause we're kind of talking around a lot of strategic issues and, and things like that. What, what, how would you summarize, you know, what, what is your job as you step in as CEO? My first reaction was to go, ah, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when you step in as CEO, you know, how, hopefully you have had the time um, to do some homework before you got to the organization so that you're coming in with some thoughts. Um, you know, I, I don't adhere to the a belief that you should, you know, sort of start full force on day one. Uh, I think it's important to understand, again, you know, in, in the nonprofit world, I mean, a lot of this is the same, whether you're in the corporate world or the nonprofit world. Um, but you know, nonprofit mission, as you may have noticed, I keep mentioning that is very important to me. And I think it's key to the sector. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's, you have to, I think you have to be a little bit more careful with your disruption, right. Or major changes. And so if you come in on day one, um, you know, I had some colleagues a number of years ago that worked in an organization and they had a new person came in who came from the corporate world and, um, and fired everybody on day one. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm, I'm not uh, in that world at all, but I think you have to do your homework before you get there. You need to have kind of a, a vision of where you think it makes sense to go and how you could help the organization to go there. Um, you know, and sometimes it's just to be better at what it is that the organization is doing. And other times it's, you know, maybe taking a bit of a change. Um, you know, we have, we've done both of those things, uh, at Audubon International and, um, it's just, um, important, I think, to have a, also to have a good sense of yourself so that you can, um, convey that to your, your, your new colleagues and get that sort of wonder and, um, perhaps nervous. I mean, there's always sort of nervousness when a new person comes in as then you're saying like, what does this mean for me? So I think it's important to recognize that and try to help people understand, you know, your approach and that, you know, in my particular case, it's not, it's not going to be slash and burn or, you know, major things on day one or even week one um, so that you can build relationships now with your new colleagues, get the information that they have that you need to learn so that they feel comfortable enough to give you that information, right. And to work with you for the betterment of the organization. Mm. So how is, how have you changed as being since taking on the role of CEO? You know, what, what have you learned? That's a, that's a good question. Um, well, um, I think, uh, I definitely have grown as a person. Uh, I think I have, uh, bettered my leadership um, skills since I've come into this position. Um, you know, this is a, a fairly large organization in terms of um, the scope of our work. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're in all 50 states in the United States, all 10 provinces of Canada, and, you know, 34 other countries around the world. So that's a very kind of sprawling approach to things. Yeah. Um, we're in, um, you know, a, a growth um, spurt, I guess I would say, or a growth, a growth plan, I should say, because in our strategic plan, that was part of the goal was we really need to, um, expand our staff, um, go deeper on our certifications and other services that we're offering. So, um, you know, when you're leading an organization like that, uh, it's a different, I think it's, it certainly was a different for me than any place I had worked before. So, um, I think I've strengthened and developed my leadership skills. Um, you have to have good communication skills, particularly, you know, during the pandemic, I think we all demonstrated how we, we had to all pivot and learn that some people have to learn how to work from home. Other people have to learn to manage people who are working from home. And then you still have, you know, for us, like we started building, we still had tenants, we still had programs and services we had to deliver. So, you know, you have to be, um, you have to be flexible. Yeah. And you have to be very flexible. <laughs> how big is how big is the organization at this point in terms of team? You know, how big is the team? 
Yeah, both, well, we're, we have eight people right now. We actually have a couple of openings. So, we'll, so 10 is where we want to be right now. Um, we probably will get a little bigger. We might get to 12 um, after that. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's a, a very lean and efficient team. Uh, we, you know, a lot of members on our team travel quite a bit because as part of our certifications, we do um, in-person site visits. Now during the pandemic, we had to do some more of those remote, which again is pivoting as to how you're gonna do that and have people with Zoom and their cameras and you know showing you what you want to see and need to see. But you know we have a lot of moving parts anyway. So we have folks uh, every day that are out traveling and visiting our members and um, doing either initial certification site visits. Once you're certified, you have to recertify with us every three years. There's a couple of different processes for how that works. Um, so, you know, even pre-pandemic, we had a lot of moving parts. So making them, you know, all work well during the pandemic was um, very challenging. Yeah. So you, you talked about you want to hire another two team members. What types of traits are you looking for now when you are hiring team members? Are there certain things that you want in order to make sure that you're hiring somebody who's a good fit for the organization? Yeah, well, for us, um, and I'm probably for more businesses now, you know, as we're coming out of this pandemic, um, but always for us, you know, there certainly is a certain level of education that you're looking for, knowledge in um, the sustainability field, uh, different property management practices and approaches. But also, um, you know, we are looking for people who have the ability to um, take ownership of a, a project and go with it and are, um, you know, have the strong enough, have confidence in their, themselves and their abilities to do that because we have such a, a travel schedule. So, you know, you're out in the field and you have to be able to make decisions um, about what's, you know, going to happen, how you're going to. Maybe somebody can't you get there and I don't know, they're out sick. So you can't do that visit that day. So, you know, what's going to happen on that? Uh, how are we, you know, how are we providing the services to the folks in the particular uh, sector within your working, uh, within your responsibility? So we really look for, as I said, you know, a basic educational understanding, but we're really looking for people who can manage themselves, who have good people skills good communication skills, and also, you know, good organizational skills. So whatever that means, I mean, people use a lot of different techniques to keep themselves organized. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to, to have an awareness of that and an ability to do it is important. So, and, you know, so what we want people, well, and, we're, you know, I like to build sort of a, what I call a collegial atmosphere uh, and cultures and organizations in that, you know, Everybody works together, but you know you have to be able. You have to be willing to take um, input from other folks, whether you know you think it's somebody that you know maybe you think it's in, you know we're not that vertical. We don't have that many people, but you know I have worked with folks before who people who they consider below them on the corporate rungs. And they don't really want to take input from them, mm. and that you know I don't think that's a, a good idea. So I try to encourage. You have to be willing to take input and also, you know, give input and we want it to be constructive and helpful, but I don't want anybody to feel like they can't, you know, talk to somebody else in the organization yeah. and um, have a meaningful role. So I want to make sure I understood one thing you said on this though. Um, so you said that you really value hiring people who are confident in acting independently and kind of, they're kind of capable of, it sounds like, uh, implementing things on their own. Does that, did that become more important after the pandemic? Um, well, it, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, yes. I mean, it's going to be more important going forward, but it was something that since I've been here anyway, that we have always looked for and yeah. folks who um, I have networked with, who worked at the organization previously, I think definitely fell into that category. Yeah. Um, so I think it's probably always been in the culture of the organization. Now for overall, for place, for, you know, businesses, I think it's going to be more important going forward. So, so essentially, so that's always been a positive trait, of course. And it's, I mean, it, you know, doesn't take a genius to know why that would be a positive trait to have, but it, it's interesting that, it, that uh, because I think with the pandemic and, you know, people are not in the same office all the time or as often as they were before, I think those traits are now, 
critical or, you know, maybe, maybe they went from being very positive traits to being essential traits. Is that, is that accurate? Do you think? I think so. Yes, I do. I think it's going to be. Yeah, I think, you know, yeah, I haven't heard that articulated before, but I think that that, you know, I, I agree with you that that will be important for other businesses and for, you know, other nonprofits. And, you know, I know, so for me, I, you know, I have a, a, a 25 person company um, where that has always been virtual. And so going back about 10 years now, it's been virtual. It wasn't always 25 people, but, um, uh, you know, when the pandemic hit, it wasn't, it didn't require the type of, of adjustment that other organizations probably needed because we've always had to manage things virtually. Um, you know, and, and one of the things we realized a long time ago was you need people, you know, first of all, you need managers, but you also need team members who don't really need to be managed. You know, if you, you know, if you require too much management, virtually, it creates too many challenges. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Um, interesting. Well, so, and I think that, you know, that may become um, a more common skill, if I want to say that, um, going forward, just because, again, um, you know, millennials and um, particularly, but also some of the um, generations immediately preceding them, you know, much more technology, um, native technology folks, um, much more willing and able to work remotely. Um, so I think just the understanding of how workplaces and jobs may change or are already changing, um, you know, we may find is a little bit more native uh, as we go ahead um, and in, in the next 10 years um, with our hiring and, and long-term changes to our organizations brought about by the pandemic. Yeah. Um, so we've talked a lot about processes. Um, what about metrics? Do you use any key metrics for measuring success at Autobahn? Uh, actually, that's one of the things that, you know, we ha- I've been working on since we, um, since I came to the organization and sometimes you'll find in the nonprofit world that can be um, a problem area. Um, you know, because when you're um, providing services and perhaps intangible um, services as opposed to products, you know, it's a little bit harder to um, find ways to um, find to measure your performance. So if you're, uh, you know, I worked at a social service agency uh, years ago, um, you know, over here, you've got, you know, the the food co-op and the soup kitchen. So you can easily say, well, how many people did we feed today? How many bags of groceries did we give out? Um, but then you have folks who are coming in for, you know, um, therapy, family um, therapy, um, you know, stuff. And it, it's, that's much, much harder to measure um, in your, I mean, you can certainly say, well, how many people are coming in for, for services, but you need to see how the services are going right on the other end. So it's much harder to do that. Um, so for us, you know, we certainly have set up now, um, and as part of our strategic plan, a different approach to the numbers of our organization. So the certification programs that we have, um, you know, how many organizations are in them percentage certified versus, um, working towards certification. Um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes places become decertified because they don't keep up with the program. We find a lot of times that is due to personnel changes and maybe they just didn't don't understand the program. So they don't, you know, they put it on the back burner. And um, so there's a lot of reasons for that. So we're much better now with those numbers because they are, you know, easier to, um, to track, but it's, it's a little harder in terms of, um, you know, how do you really track the um, impact of sustainable um, activities or, you know, property management. So you have different, you know, places may have different inputs. So they could be, um, nativizing, you know, the property, their corporate office park areas, um, you know, golf courses that are not using, they don't, don't use all of the property. They usually use 30 to 40% of the property for golf. And then the rest of it is 
either out of play or supplemental areas like the golf cart barn or the clubhouse or something like that. Um, so, you know, how do you, how you find out the impact on the people using that property, right? Is much dif more difficult to find. So if it's a resort, like we go to all go, you know, I would say in the last, what, 10 years, most of the time if you go to a hotel now, there's a little card in there that says something about like, you know, we don't, don't, don't make us wash the towels every day, right? So we can save the water, which is, and that's important. And, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't see that at all. They came in every day, the tooth towels. So, but, you know, you can measure that perhaps through the um, less water that you're using. But again, if you're not paying for that water, if you're on a well um, or in, you know, certain like in New York City, for instance, a lot of buildings are not older buildings. The um, individual unit, units are not metered separately. So you can't really, you know, oh, I, I saved X amount because I did this less thing. You can't really tell that. So that's, that's what it's hard. We're still wrestling with some of that. We try to ask for information from our members um, that, that they can supply us with things like that, you know, less water used, less um, fertilizers used, uh, less mowing schedule, right? So now you're really uh, reducing your carbon footprint. Um, you know, again, you know, com composting, uh, we have folks that are doing biodigesters, uh, you know, upgrades to your ventilation system. I mean, it's all, you know, unless you, you bring it back to something like electricity use, water use, it's, it's much harder we're still kind of wrestling with the best way to um, track that information. Yeah. Yeah. It's a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, so I always like to ask what have you, was there ever a time in your career where you felt like, you know, you always knew you wanted to be CEO. Uh, was there ever a time when you wanted to give up on your plan and you just wanted to pack it in because it was something was too hard? Um. I, I don't think so. Nothing's coming to mind. Um, you know, there's always challenges, as I said, with, you know, perhaps the organizations that along the way um, where, you know, either it was not a good fit for me. So, you know, as I said, I wanted to work in different things. And so I might, and there was a couple of times I was at organizations and, you know, the mission just wasn't resonating uh, enough with me, not that it wasn't a great mission. And, um, and those were particularly times where I was heading up the fundraising operation. So you really have to be a hundred percent behind that mission to go out and raise funds for yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so it didn't make me want to pack it in. It just made me realize that, you know, again, more, learn more about myself and where I need to work and the type of mission work I need to do to be really be, um, proud of it and myself and effective. Interesting. Well, I really appreciate your time today. I thought this was a great discussion. And I know that people are going to benefit from hearing about your path. Were there any topics that you wanted to cover that we didn't get to? Um, well, I guess I would just say that um, one of the things that I found particularly helpful, and it's, you know, sometimes it's really hard to find that is to continue your education. So whether that is on your own of trying to find um, good books to read, podcasts like this, other um, folks to follow like I'm a um there's a couple of different people you know the um books that you can use you know whether it's it might be that you go back for some sort of formal education um in a further degree or even a certificate or something uh again keeps you on track something that you get at the end so you finish it right um but I think that that's really important and you have to make the time to do that um if you really want to have a, a career at the CEO level yeah, I agree. I think that's I think that's great advice. Thanks. Well, thank you again for joining us. Been a great episode. And we'll, is there any way that you uh, any, are there any links or anything you want to share for how people can support Autobahn um, or follow Autobahn for updates? Any 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 um, sure. any you want to share on that? Yeah. Well, uh, our our. Um Website is auduboninternational.org because we're a, a nonprofit. And so um, we get, you know, we have lots of do lots of people say, oh, Audubon, like the Audubon in Germany. <laughs> and so it's um, A-U-D-U-B-O-N, international.org. 
Um, we have, we're on social. So we have um, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And we have a number of, um, you know, we, on our website, you'll see there's, you know, news, a news area where I have blogs and um, information about what's going on. So those are the simplest ways to uh, follow us. And then if you're, you know, running a business and you're interested in, you know, what you might be able to do, and we'd be happy to work with you. And we offer six different certifications, uh, as I said, that are based in, um, we have what we, our biggest program is what we call our Audubon Cooperative Sanctuary Program. And so that's for places that are operating now, they're not building new or anything. And they have some property that they can manage that's under their management. In uh, the uh, hospitality industry, for instance, we have some green lodging for you know resorts and, and places with lodging, but we have green hospitality for those that don't. And um, also under our ACSB program, we, as I mentioned, we have um, parks, and cemeteries, and that was really interesting, I think, during the pandemic. You know, many cemeteries are in urban areas now, and they have nice, flat, wide, paved um, places, and oftentimes lovely specimen trees, and so they have um, become kind of recreational areas almost. Um, and and then we have um, our signature sanctuary, which is for sort of um, properties that are under either built from new or under some sort of renovations. So as we like to say, we can incorporate the sustainability even below the ground and up. So happy to work with anybody that would like to um, find out more information about that. And it's all on our website. We'll post links with the episode and, uh, and I, I hope that, that people will, will reach out and, uh, uh, and connect with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. I've really enjoyed the talking with you.